Hello and welcome. I'm Michael Banks, and you're listening to Leadership Luminaries from PeopleSmart. PeopleSmart provides innovative learning solutions to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. Today, my guest is Professor David Clutterbuck. Good morning, David. Good morning. Great to have you with us today. David is the co-founder and special ambassador of the EMCC, stands for the European Mentoring and Coaching Council. He's a prolific author with over 50 books. Is that right, David, 50 or is it more? 70 now. That's right, over 70 books. Um, I don't know how he does it, but he does. And (laughs) visiting professor at four UK universities. David is also a distinguished fellow at the conference board and he specializes in mentoring and coaching, and currently has a strong focus on team coaching. So today's title is Leadership for a Chaotic Future. And uh, I asked David a week ago to give me some ideas about what he wants to talk about. And um, he set a context for this by talking about the coronavirus, COVID-19, the fact that it's forcing leaders and HR professionals to rethink what they do and why our assumptions about the the roles of leaders and HR will not work in a possible CV world. And leadership is too important to be left to leaders, talent management and HR. So David explores the opportunities and will be exploring the opportunities with us hopefully that arise to take advantage of the new understanding of how to survive and thrive in a VUCA environment. So with that, I'd like to ask you the first question, David, which is, you said that much of what HR does has become part of the problem, not, not part of the solution. What draw you? What drew you to this uh, conclusion? Well, we some years ago, I, I, I did a piece of research which had the starting question: If what HR does in talent management and succession planning really works, how come the wrong people so often get to the top? <laughs> and it, it, it was a very revealing question. And what we found was uh, with that and a subsequent piece of research that actually the dissatisfaction with HR in those particular areas, especially in those areas, both particularly among, among uh, senior line managers, but also amongst HR people themselves was extremely high. And, 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 and the reason that we under, un, found underpinned all this was because all those, all that stuff that we've had about ch- succession charts and plans, about um, about how we decide whether people are talented or not, and all that stuff is all based on linear thinking, and a lot of it quite dodgy linear thinking as well, not very well evidence based, um, and and yet we're living in a complex adaptive world, so we we actually need complex adaptive systems thinking, not linear thinking. And if we think about things like, you know, the nine box grid, um, which which assumes that you can measure performance or potential uh, or both performance and potential with somebody. Well, actually, we can't truly measure either of those. So, for example, when we look at individual performance, how much is that individual performance um, related to um, to how they're managed, for example, um, or what resources and support they've got? Um, um, when, when we look at somebody's potential, the only way that we can actually measure somebody's potential is to put them in a similar role and actually see how they perform in it. There is n- no matter what consultants say, it's almost impossible to, 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 to get more, more than a stab in the dark. Um, uh, you know, if you write 50% of the time, but then you could have just tossed a coin. Um, uh, and what we end up doing is promoting people. The Peter principle comes in and we promote people to, to their uh, to the limit of their, their um, incompetence. In fact, one study, um, a, a death study of the Peter Principle showed that if you appointed the best performer out of every team to become the team leader, um, um, ultimately the, the impact on the, on the performance of the organization was worse than if you simply tossed a coin and t- t- chose somebody at random. Uh, <laughs> this is not very helpful. And what we actually found things like, sticking with the nine box, box grid, the nine box grid is actually a wonderful tool for making all your talent leave. <laughs> because 
if you're somebody who and because people know where they where they're perceived to be so people perceive they're in the bottom the, the bottom quadrant of the of the of the um, of the whole thing um then they say this company doesn't appreciate me i'm going to find somewhere where it does if you're in the, uh, the other extreme you're at the top um you basically you're, you're waiting you're saying well I, I, I know, I know I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready for promotion, but I've been here. It's three weeks that I haven't had one. I'm going to talk to a headhunter. Um, so off you go. So, so all your, so, so what happens is that you lose all your talent anyway. Um, and what you're left is the mediocre people in the middle. Um, and this is classic. And that with, you know, basically, so where people only belong in boxes when they're dead. <laughs> and so we, we call a lot of this stuff, HR bling. It's um, bling. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very shiny, but it doesn't do anything. Um, and, 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 and we're stuck with a lot, lot of this stuff. Now, you can use um, some of this stuff to great, to, to great effect, to good effect, if you just refashion the whole thing. So in terms of, 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 of the Nine Books Grid, for example, instead of using it to make judgments about people, Use it to get people to go and find out and talk to other people about what they need to be perceived in, in, in that top quadrant. So give it as something, that, that, as, as something that's a vehicle for somebody else, to, to, for the employee themselves, to take responsibility for their own development. And similarly, the appraisal systems. Um, yeah, most appraisal systems are exercises in, in dishonesty. Um, the team, you know, the, 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 the leader of the team um, basically doesn't want to, 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 to completely demotivate people. But, um, um, you know, um, um, and so they backpedal on it and they don't tell them half of the background anyway, of the decisions that are made. Um, and the employee is not going to tell their boss, um, actually, well, I was thinking about staying here another six months and then going off and doing something else, because that means they'll get all the rubbish jobs to do over the next six months. Um, uh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, everybody hates it. Um, and a lot of organizations have now thrown them away. Um, uh, what's, but you've got to have something that goes back into it. And again, if you transfer the ownership of this process to the employee and you say to the employee, okay, you must, you, you produce your plan for the next six weeks. And it seems to be a six week cycle that works. And in that plan, you've got, you, it will have two parts. Performance. So what are you going to deliver? and what quality and so forth um and learning what do you what do you need to learn or want to learn over that over that period and you go and talk to your stakeholders not just your boss but your peers your customers the people that matter who have a, 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 a who, who are influenced by and who you influence um and so then you've you produced your plan and you then then you sit down with your line manager who coaches you about how how you might achieve that maybe challenges you to think about how you might be more stretching for yourself um and then and and um and you then uh, every every six weeks you sit down with your line manager having gone out to all your stakeholders and got feedback from them with your new plan and the learning that you've taken from the feedback that you've got what that means is you've got a process again that is driven by the employee uh and so it, it, it it's radically different from what we would normally expect and it, it, it takes um, a much more adaptive process, process. You recognize that people need to be in charge of. It means people need to respond to things. If you treat people like children, that's what you get. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, and as you're explaining it, David, there's some questions coming into my mind. One of them is, well, that is, is that not going to require a, a huge leap on the part of most employees uh, because it means having the courage to go to your stakeholders and actually asking them what you, they think you need to do to develop, um, which is probably for most people very risky and scary. Um, and then, you know, who's going to encourage the employees to do that? How are they going to feel safe about it and so on? Is there a training for that? And second, you assume, uh, and this is not a criticism, but I'm just curious, but you assume that if you have the line manager then coaching that individual, um, is the line manager going to be inclined to do that as well? And and so these are questions yeah. I have about it, Absolutely, the whole thing comes back to the relationship between um, bet between the HR function and and the leadership uh, and, and the, the leaders in, in in the teams. And clearly, many leaders don't know how to coach. Um, and, and so um, helping them to, be, to, to take on this role of a coach is an important part of the education. We need to be doing a lot more of that. Um, 
and so and, and so if we can help the team leader to um to to get the support of the team in doing this we're into a different environment and we carried out some experiments a few years ago with uh, the nhs with um uh within um asda um, a whole variety of organizations where we um we basically got people uh we we we, we we went back and asked, we started off by asking people, you know, what actually happens when your line manager goes on a line manager's coach course? And the answer was, well, uh, not a lot. You know, they behave differently for a few days, but then they go back to normal because it's too difficult. Um, and it's, um, and, and the re- one of the reasons that they, they do go back to normal is because everybody feels awkward. Um, the, pe- the rest of the team don't know what the heck's going on. Um, and we describe, we compare it to doing the tango when only one person knows the steps. Oh dear! <laughs> yeah, and, and an awful lot of, t- of sore toes as a result of it. So everybody gets quite relieved when you go back to where, the way that you were before. So what we did in all those organisations in different ways, they 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 contracted that that the teams would meet after or before their normal team meetings once every couple of weeks, and they would have some reading to do. Um, and some questionnaires, maybe a podcast to listen to, but various things where they do some 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 reading and, and, and development, learning about coaching behaviours and processes for themselves, and then they come back into the team at that that team meeting for an hour or so. They would discuss. So, what have we learned from this? Um, and they'd share that learning, and then how do we apply this to making our, ourselves the team a better place to be to to, to work in? Uh, and pretty much all the teams that did, that did this, the companies reported that, that, that there have been significant changes in, in, in just the whole culture. What they were doing was creating a coaching culture inside the team. They're developing psychological safety within that team and so forth. And so uh, I think this is a, 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 a starting point for changing the dynamics of what happens inside the team. Well, that's very interesting, David. I mean, I'm, I'm getting the picture that you're describing as, as one of you know, in, in your examples, the, the line managers are actually getting fully engaged in the value of it on a very personal level. So they've, they've dug into it. What does it mean? Um, what can I get out of it? What, what can my team get out of it? Um, and it becomes something that they can get really interested in versus yeah. simply going to a training and, uh, you know, on how to coach <laughs> your team members. Uh, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah, and you know, and being the coachee is as important as role as being the coach. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, okay. So, how do you get that coaching culture? Um, I mean, is that coaching culture or the initiative reliant upon head of HR, CEO, etc.? Yeah, it's got to. You've got to create the environment. You've to, to the budget for training people to do this. Uh, having the resources there, you know, you've got to create an infrastructure by which this 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 can happen. And, and in the research for the the, the book that I, I I described earlier, the Talent Wave, um, what came out? One of the fascinating things that came out of this was, was that um, although most of what HR has traditionally done actually does get in the way because it it does things for line managers, for example, rather than actually, and it sets up a process rather than it takes away from having the conversations that people need. Um, if we can then, if, what, what really makes a difference and changes the system is if we, we do actually encourage and enable people to have key conversations. And we found four kinds of, of conversation that were really important. So the first conversation was the conversation that goes on in the head of the employee. Um, and you know, how do we support people to think about, you know, what's my identity? What are my values? What are my aspirations, my strengths and my weaknesses? Um, all of those, all of those kinds of things to understand yourself. And so that, you, because if, until you understand yourself, it's hard to take accountability for your own development. Absolutely. Then the second conversation that we found that was critical was a conversation between the, the employee and their line manager uh, and other people who might develop them, but particularly the line manager. So the line manager taking on the role of, of developer of, 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 of talent in, in, in the team. And, and how does, the, how does the line manager in, enable you to, to, to think about you know, yourself and your career? But just simple little things, be, being aware of trigger points in people's career. So for one of the trigger points we identified, for example, when, when, when a, a young man 
is about to become a parent for the first time, um, something happens psychologically. They, um, they start to compare themselves with their peers, both within the organization and outside the organization. You know, if they went to university, they compare them with, so <clears throat> with their unit, with the, the guys that there were people that, that graduated at the same time as they did or, or school or whatever. And if they perceive that they are actually behind the, 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 the curve, they're not up in the top, <clears throat> in the top 10% there, they start saying to themselves, well, I'm, I'm a, I've got new responsibilities now. Um, you know, I, my identity has suddenly changed. Uh, they might not, might not articulate it that way, but that's really what's going on unconsciously. And so they now start wanting more responsibility and the potential to earn more and so forth. Now, if that's happening to them and the team is not, uh, not available, not, not there to have the conversations or they're not able to have the conversations about how do we accommodate my new needs, then that person's going to leave and find an environment that does. Um, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of work can be done, done here simply by the team leader understanding when it's time to have these developmental conversations, to tap in to these natural instincts that pe people have. And there are lots of tools that they can use, like, like we, we call, talk about learn, exploit, coast, or in um, Americans would say freewheel. Um, but in everybody's role, we have a certain, we have a need to be stretched, or most of us do. Um, to, to, to try and challenging new things that make us really think and take us out of our comfort zone. We have a need to, to exploit, we, we, by which means there's still learning going on, but we're doing similar, we're, we're, we're doing things where we're, we're transferring the learning we've learned, we've gained from being stretched into a wider range of, of, of situations that we, that we encounter or that we, we, we are familiar with. So we're taking the, the new into the familiar. Yep. And then there's, there's, there's coast or free will, which is basically doing stuff you don't need to think about. Now, everybody at different points in their life needs different balances between them and different personalities need more. Some people are constantly up for challenge, some people less so. Um, if the balance of what you've got fits what the balance that you need in your life at this time, then you are likely to stay in the, in, in the team. If there's a significant difference, however, you're likely to be looking to leave. They, these are all sort of basic things, which, but these underpin the conversations that a line manager can have with, the, with their team. Well, you say they're basic, um, but actually they're not, but <laughs> they're not discussed, typically. No, they're not. And there are two other big areas of conversation, types of conversation that we discovered. One was between um, the talent, however you define it in the organization, and that's a, diff that's a question in itself. Um, uh, if for line, we found for, for many line managers, the idea of talent is somebody like me. <laughs> oh, yes. <Say> more. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's somebody like me, they must be talented, which is why the psychopaths get to the top. Um, the, um, but but the, so the conversation between the talent in the organization and the HR function and the leadership, but particularly with the leadership. Um, um, so instead of talent management being something that is done unto people, you know, it's something that the baby boomers are directing and, and, um, and Generation X is, is, um, is, is, is uh, designing and is visited upon Generation Y and Z. Um, and that's, you, you turn the whole thing around, you, set, you actually engage the generations, you engage the talent in designing the talent, the, the way that talent is developed um, and the opportunities. Suddenly, you, 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 that by having that dialogue, you create a much more dynamic situation. And the last conversation that we found, we were initially quite surprised by. But when we think about leadership, leadership is basically identifying things that are either opportunities or threats, things that need to be, to be, to be looked at and, 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 and resolved. And then it's about finding the solutions or workable solutions. And then it's about implementing them, making sure they happen, providing the resources, for example. What we learned was that in, in many organizations, the formal hierarchy um, and the formal leadership structure is not the only place where leadership is exhibited. A large part of it happens in the informal structure and particularly through the internet. So somebody putting out through their, through their network <clears throat> an issue that's arising, somebody else coming up with, 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 with ways of dealing with that and resources that might be applied to it. 
actually so many of the things that happen in organizations and particularly more agile organizations are happening without reference to the, to the hierarchy at all. Um, and what, and, and if one wants to find out where are the leaders of the future, we don't look to our traditional ways of saying, well, who meets this nice, meets this nice competency framework. We say, who's actually demonstrating leadership? And they may be very different from the people who are, who are on the, the, the succession chart. In fact, almost always will be. <clears throat> well, that's interesting because you, uh, the, the next question I was going to ask you, what are, the, what are the qualities of a great leader today? It's, we, we, we did a study a little while ago, a, a, a literature study, where we took um, the literature on, on, on leadership for the past 10 years this was so this was two years ago three years ago <clears throat> and then we looked at the same at the literature, parallel literature on on coaches we found that the same thing themes were echoed time and time again mm. um and we started off with three issues which came out of the literature and then we had a fourth one from actually going around the world talking with people and leaders uh, around these and they conveniently they all they all start with c so the first characteristic that came out incredibly strongly <clears throat> was, was compassion. Actually caring about people. Um, and I think you know, it's, it's very interesting when we look at the leaders, that the, that the psychopathic leaders in front, that, that are in charge of so many countries now. Um, uh, there's no compassion there. There's no compassion in the, in, 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 in the statements of President Trump, for example. Uh, uh, and compassion starts with compassion for yourself. And one of the great questions we like to ask is to, to read there is how do you forgive yourself or what do you forgive yourself for? What can you let go of? Um, uh, and um, so compassion is, is, is core. Then there's, then there's curiosity. Seeing the world, you know, being really interested in, the, in how the world looks from somebody else's position. Um, and, um, and, 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 and that's something that takes a lot of development. Again, if we take the political scene, what we're seeing is polarization everywhere. You know, that there are completely opposite views and nobody really stopping to think about, well, why does somebody else have those views? What is it that enables them to do it? And there's quite a lot of, of psychological research that shows, shows that actually people, um, People become highly moralistic and judgmental and assume that somebody holds an opposite view to themselves. If only they, they, they were able to think rightly. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. And, and if, only they, if, if, only, if only they had goodwill, and obviously there must be something dangerous, they must have motivations which are, uh, which are, are dishonest or wrong um, if they've got views that are different to mine. Um, and that kind, of, um, that kind of leadership is so damaging. Um, and leaders, really great leaders and really great coaches, they, they escape from this. They see the complexity. We're back into complex adaptive systems now. Um, they have a, mature, a personal maturity that enables them to see things in much more nuanced terms and to accept the validity of other people's perceptions. The next one was courage. Yeah. Courage to ask those really difficult questions. That the courage to do the right thing. It's fascinating in this coronavirus time to, <clears throat> to look at, you know, the leaders of organizations who have come out and, you know, they've supported their staff, they've been, they've, um, you know, um, and those that have actually just looked at the balance sheet and said, to the hell with the staff. Yep, yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, you, you begin to see that, you know, the, the courage to do the right thing is, 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 is an important part of it. Also, the, the, uh, one of the, the things, the courage to question your own assumptions. Yeah. Um, so what, am, what assumptions do I have that actually are now obs are obsolete in the current world, but which I haven't, ha haven't had, had been able to admit to, my, to myself? Yeah. How might I as a leader be, be part of the problem rather than the solution for my organization? Um, uh, yeah. uh, how am I getting in the way of my team performing? Yeah, these are, oh, it, it takes courage to do that. And we had um, somebody was uh, somebody brought to me just the other day uh, a situation where they've got an, a newly 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 recruited young manager, 
um, who's immediately started to clash with his team um, because he he's very much control, command and control. You know, but why aren't they doing what I told them to? Um, and she was saying, well, how, can, how do I convince this guy that, um, you know, to, to, to behave in a different way? And the question that, we, that, 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 we, that I posed, which I think she's, she is either going to or has used with this guy, is do you have the balls to be vulnerable? <laughs> Brilliant question. Uh, what a great question. Um, it's great. It's fantastic. And, it, and, and I, I think it is, I, mean, I love what you're saying. You're talking about compassion, curiosity, courage. Um, and it, I'll tell you what my response to what you just said is, David, for what it's worth. Uh, what you're describing is a leader who is willing to go beyond themselves to reach out to other people in different Indeed. ways, to, um, to not be self-obsessed. And in not being self-obsessed, you can be humble. You can be uh, sort of, uh, uh, you can question your own assumptions because you have a degree of humility. It's not yeah. even about me. It's about to what degree can I serve other people? And if, am I in the way myself? Of doing yeah. it. so that's where I'm coming from it I'm, I'm coming from a place as a leader of um, doing the best I can with myself to then help others exactly so and that's the fourth C that we came when we went to Africa we, we, we presented this and, and a lot of the said yes you, but you miss connectedness uh, as, as, as a critical factor and how well connected are you yeah. um, and in, 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 in southern Africa Africa they have this term Ubuntu Yes. I am because we are. Yes. And that really, that really sums it up. This, this desire to be connected with people, at a, at a, not just at a superficial level, um, but to be connected with the world around us and, 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 the, and, the, and the environment, the social, the climate change, all of the, the, the big themes, that these are real to us, that they're, 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 they're part of, of what shapes us and, 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 and creates our, our identity. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, there's a mass there. And then we did a study uh, also where I went, I was asked to go into one of the, the top five um, global technology companies. Um, and what we did, we, we looked at um, uh, their highest performing teams. Um, and of course, you know, what does high performance mean? <laughs> That's a great question in itself. Um, but in this case, we defined it both in terms of their delivering above target constantly for a long period of time um, by the, their employee engagement scores. And um, among other things, um, the, the size of the queue of people within the organization who wanted to join that team if there was a vacancy, which is a pretty good marker. Um, and what we found is that one of the common factors there was what we call the secure leader. And the secure leader is somebody who doesn't feel they have to manage anybody. They, they see their role as creating the environment where people can manage themselves. Interesting. I think quite, quite a, a fascinating uh, distinction. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> a secure leader implies a leader that is enough... Um, self-assurance and has done enough work on themselves uh, again to focus on others not oneself not self-aggrandizement uh, so absolutely yeah um, and that we, some of them talked about themselves as being works in progress yeah aren't we all uh, which is great <laughs> i mean so we, we you know they, they share their, their own personal development plans with with, with, their, with their teams yeah so the team could help them to grow yeah. um they, they, they never saw themselves as messenger boys and, uh, between, you know, passing messages between people. They got people, you know, they, a lot of communications happened horizontally. Um, uh, and that they, they basically, they, they, they fulfilled these, these characteristics. They really did show that they cared. But they, it's this duality of caring about the, the, the purpose of the team and yeah. caring about the people in it. Yeah. That those two things go together so closely. They're, they're connected so intimately, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I think going back to what you were saying earlier in our conversation, David, about the line managers coaching, um, you also mentioned at the beginning of this bit of the conversation about, you know, there's a similarity between in your studies, coaching and, and leadership. In other words, the, the, and so the line managers as well being coaches, it's, it's a very different world where 
the leader, the manager, call the, the managers a leader in the sense that the managers leading yeah. where, where they actually see themselves as uh, facilitators, as educators, as you know, giving true reality to the word empowerment, which you know, started, absolutely. I mean, it's easy to say, oh, I'm empowering my people. What does that really mean? Well, I think real empowerment means the sort of uh, person that you just talked about who sees themselves as uh, not as a leader so much as someone who facilitates other people developing themselves. Well, one of the conversations that we have in the team coaching, we, we, we get the, we, with the leader's permission, and it takes some courage to do this, um, but we get the leader <coughs> to let us talk with the team as a whole and get the team to say, what kind of leadership do we need? Or what do we need from our leader if for, in order for us to perform at our best? But if we just feed that back or just engage with that conversation, we're going to get a whinge session. And so with the second half of it, and what is our responsibility as a team to support our manager in being the man or our leader in being the leader we need? Mm. Then we bring them back together and we facilitate the discussion. It's highly powerful. And uh, it, it just, it, it means that you're bringing out the open all, all the way. The leader doesn't have to accept <clears throat> all of this, but it means that you're now having a conversation that could not normally happen at all. Yes. Um, and so it's, it's, everything comes down to the quality of, of conversations and clarity of role. And that's another big area. Um, we've, I, I realized that a while ago that we didn't actually have very much literature about what leaders do. We, we have lots of the traits and the characteristics and the qualities of great leaders. Yeah, but what are the functions of leadership and management? Um, and you know, there's, 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 there is some literature there, but, but it's very, very patchy. And so uh, eventually I discovered one article which pulled, to, which, which was, which pulled together and, set, and found 15 different functions of a leader. Um, uh, and so as a result of that, we said, okay, um, let's, um, uh, how many of those actually in the modern world need to be done by a designated authority figure. And we've tried this out with groups all over the place. Um, and in some cases, we've got them to generate their own functions of a leader first, or functions of leadership first. Um, and the answer is that we've only found two out of all of those fun functions that generally have, that would be perceived as, as being reserved for a designated leader. One of those is getting resources from above. So somebody has to be the official signatory for, for you know, to get a new headcount, for example, or whatever. Um, the other one is protecting the team from interference by other people. They might, might stop them doing, that, doing what they want. Those are the only two functions of, a, of, of leadership. Everything else can be distributed amongst the team. And so the discussion happening now is, you know, how, how do we distribute, you know, who, what, what gets distributed um, and how? Um, how much does the team want to take on? Um, uh, and so then this can be a gradual process over time. The key thing for a leader is by the more that they can, um, I'm going to use the word delegate, but I'm going to come, I'll come back to the word delegate because there's some, some particular new thinking around that too. Um, the more that they, the, the team can take over from them, let's, let's put it that way, um, the more that they can focus on things which are more important and more strategic, and the more likely they are to be creating their own um, foundation for promotability. And if I pick up on, the, on, on this issue of delegation, we find that actually, if you think about delegation, delegation is an exercise in power. I am going to give bits of my job to you. Mm -hmm. um, if we truly want a team which is taking collective responsibility for things, mm -hmm. um, then, then, then we have, then, it, then we have, we need something very different. Um, and, and we talk about SARS, shared allocation of responsibility. If you engage the team in, in actually the whole process of saying, okay, well, what could we take over and what would, what would we be willing to take over from, from, what you, from your role? Mm -hmm. uh, 
then you can, you've got a much more dynamic, much more effective process. Um, and it's getting away from this notion, you know, so, so we're letting go of the power and making it collective power, except for those rare occasions when you need to have some kind of disciplinary action. But even discipline actually is better, fun, better carried out within the team if it can be, because people are much more, much less, much more um, motivated to, to, to live up to the expectations of their peers than they may be to the expectations of their boss. You know, it's, it, what you just said is, very, is, is a radical idea that uh, delegation is a function of power. And it's, it's a whole new way of looking at, uh, at delegation as we've known it and, yeah. uh, and the way it could be. Um, so that it does, it's not actually delegation in a sense anymore. Um, yeah. Fantastic stuff, David. I'm just going to stop and just say who we are in case anyone's uh, in the middle of this and wondering who is this guy talking like <laughs> spouting all this genuine wisdom in my view anyway. Um, so it's, uh, the, the, my guest today is Professor David Clutterbuck. Um, and I'm Michael Banks. This is uh, Leadership Luminaries, the podcast series from PeopleSmart. And um, so my next question, well, I've got three more major questions, David. Um, have you got time to uh, carry Here on? Here we do, yep, okay. we do. Uh, actually, a small one to start with. You mentioned compassion, curiosity, etc. all the Cs. Um, is that available in an article or in the book at this point? Or yes, there's, we can read, there's an article which we can distribute. Yes. Sorry, what was that? Yes, there is, a, there is an article we can distribute around it. Yes, yeah. Okay, because that would be fascinating. I mean, if nothing else, I personally would like to see that article. We can do that. Um, yeah. But I think it would be nice for people to know who are listening that it, it's available because I think it's a tremendous uh, map of what you're saying the future leader um, ideally. Yes should be uh, should be embodying if you like um great um so next question is if if leadership is too important to be left to leaders who should be doing it and i think you've kind of answered that already yeah um, and then will younger generations find it easier to manage in an uncertain world that's that's the big question we don't know the answer to yet Okay. We know that we know that Generation Z is um, is very different from previous generations. Certainly, very different from 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 uh, from, from my from my baby boomer uh, generation. Um, we know that they actually um, are more appreciative of having um, a, a coach or a mentor on their on, but on their own own terms. Um, when you say but I, I, but when they're on you say on their own terms what do you mean by that well they they they, they have a, a need for immediacy so the idea that we sit down you now have nice regular sessions of an hour where you have a, a formal mentoring conversation that's not necessarily what they want they want short you know to the point uh, i've got this learning need <laughs> conversations um uh, and very often that might extend into something longer, but, but you know, there is an immediacy about the way that they deal with these things. They're, able, they're better able to juggle with multiple things going on at the same time. So their multitasking skills, it seems, are, are higher than ours. So, so I think we need, we need to be and learning from them at the same time as helping them to learn. Um, I have a, a major project at the moment uh, which we're hoping to get uh, foundation launched later this year. And the starting point from this is, is, is it comes from two, two ends. One is, is, is from, the, from the, the perspective of children uh, in their teens in particular. That, you know, being a teenager now has never been, it's, 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 there's so much angst, so much, so much, it's very difficult. You know, uh, and particularly at that age when your your identity is shaped by your peers, you know, it, it, um, the, the trauma uh, of that. You know, we see so, seen so many uh, problems that wouldn't you'd never teenage suicide, for example. You wouldn't you would hardly ever saw that in, in generations previous generations. Um, uh, so that from the from the teen point of view, how do I actually cope with and think through and and and, and feel supported in in um, in my uh, in, in my life at this stage, um, yeah, I was extremely lucky to have uh, some wonderful mentors over my my my, my career, um, including a, a, a brilliant teacher who <clears throat> just 
just taught me how to be eclectic in my thinking. Um, uh, so that's one perspective. The other perspective is from the employer's point of view. You, um, employers are pulling their hair out because they've got all these managers um, and they want them to behave in the, like the, the kind of manager we described, but they can't because they're so used to behave, to, to command and control their theory X or East in many cases still, but they just do not know how to let to be vulnerable. They don't know how to have coaching or mentoring conversations. So what we're trying to do is, is start with, with kids at school, give them the skills to be coaches and mentors to each other. And that means that they will make better career decisions for themselves. They will also, we've also got a whole chapter in the resources on how to mentor your parents, um, uh, <laughs> which is a great start. Um, but actually, so, so that when these, when these, 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 this generation said enters the workplace, they will already will have the skills of coaching and mentoring that will enable them to be, uh, to, to, to move into the, to become the kind of leaders that we need rather than the kind of leaders that we are that now are holding us back. Yes. And that, that speaks again to the, to your previous comments about what kind of leaders do we need for the future? Um, and in a way we're sort of, we're, um, we're called in to try and sort of reverse engineer people who've already been conditioned for all those decades or whatever, um, in a certain form of old school leadership, what you've been suggesting is, is it essentially a new, a new world of leadership. And, and you're saying that if younger people, um, even teenagers can get used to the ideas of this, it'll make it a lot easier. We won't have to, we won't have to do all that remedial work when, when they're in their thirties or whatever. <laughs> exactly so and you know it's it's amazing well, it isn't amazing but it, it, we should expect it but they pick it up really really fast yeah um you know that we don't expect them to be to be mentors with years of years of experience and, but what they they the, the art of having a, an open conversation of listening to other people more effectively um of 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 empathizing with other people um uh, asking powerful questions these are all skills which they can learn and can use right from, from, from wherever they're starting. We've even got primary school kids are doing this. Um, and in one school we've been experimenting with, uh, around, we've done a number of experiments around the world. We've got a school in, in, uh, in Asia Pacific, in, in a slum area, in, 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 you know, one of the poorest parts of the, of the, of the capital city. Um, and in 2018, they, um, they, they expelled eight kids 2019 all the only change was putting in some was teaching some of the older kids to be mentors and they expelled none now we can't prove cause and effect it could just be a coincidence but boy if that if you were able to to, to make that work globally that would be amazing and it's interesting because again i'm looking thinking about those those four c's or five c's yeah, four c's yeah yeah the four c's i mean my experience of teenage kids in, in my world, they can be compassionate. They can be oh. curious. You know, they, they can want connection. Um, they can be courageous in the questions they ask. And they do so, I think, in a, in a much more natural way. The trouble is, once they get, if you like, formed by the corporate world, the business world, those qualities are um, they probably find it far harder to express those but the the raw state they're in i think it it's it's fertile ground for for developing those qualities as leaderships as leaders absolutely yeah so um so david the last question um what makes teams so important in this evolving new world <laughs> we just did a survey uh, a couple of months ago um where we asked um, coaches and we asked um, HR people uh, and professionals and we asked uh, senior leaders um, for how, how they perceived one-to-one um, -one development and reward for people at one-to-one -one versus, versus development and reward for, for, for teams and the importance of them. And overwhelmingly, the response was we have to shift more emphasis or place much, much more emphasis on developing teams um, and, and rewarding teams. And the, the, 
the whole process of 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 of, of emphasizing individual reward and individual advancement and development that's what's getting in that's that's a, a now an impediment to organizational agility and effectiveness mm. um, you can have a team full of um high performers but the team as a whole the collective performance is poor you can also have an organization full of high performing teams or uh, high performing departments but the organizational performance is poor um and it's the and it's it's the focus on the collective that's so that, that, that is it's so important now we have if we're in in the in in the more complex world that, that we're that we now inhabit an individual doesn't have the capacity to make the kind of decisions or to deliver the kind of value that a team can and so teams are not just places where you happen to bung up a, a group of people together and give them similar tasks teams are now coming up now places where where as my colleague peter hawkins puts it the the, the 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 sum of the output is greater than the individual the sum of the individual outputs um and, and that's how do we do that well we, we've got to basically start recognizing that uh that the performance of an organization is highly dependent upon performance to the teams which are then dependent on the performance of the of the individuals within them but the the interconnectedness between those individuals is what is what happens and the interconnectedness between the teams is what makes the organizational effective so we so we can no longer afford this um excessive focus on individual reward and bonuses and so forth and individual development it's got to be a collective issue and that's going to take a radical change for hr policies uh, i think though that if hr has the courage to deal to to to, to embrace that change it's the upper, the biggest opportunity that it has ever had to have an impact on the survival and fortunes of the organizations wow fantastic well it's interesting your um as you speak david i'm thinking of and uh, people listening to this uh, podcast episode will be international uh, not yeah. just in europe even but other parts of the world so um, i'm going to issue a caveat here this is a football analogy from english football but you may re remember there was a manager called brian clough who took oh, yes. one of the most mediocre teams in english football there were no stars in the team was it uh, nottingham forest and he took them to to win the european cup and it was an astonishing example of the collective being better than the individuals and you look at today's sports people as well uh, you have a similar thing going on um, so I, I think it's it, it is fascinating um, and what you just mentioned about hr's opportunity also um, i hope there's lots of hr people here thinking about that they can certainly talk to you about that i'm sure or get in touch with your read your uh, books and articles um, because uh, in fact one other thing i wanted to mention as well we i'll never forget it I was doing work in, in New York with, uh, actually with uh, American Express years ago. And it was with the technology area. And uh, the chief technology officer said, um, you know, what, we, what we've just done for the last day as a team is we've, we've sort of created the, what he called the, the invisible glue. The invisible glue. And what he meant by that was, um, the collective bond, the collective connectedness, the, the, the relationships that you can't put your finger on or hold as such, but it was that that allowed for the, the uh, psychological comfort, for trust, for, that facilitated all the feedback, uh, the peer, peer feedback and so on. Um, and I love that expression, the invisible glue. Um, mm, super lovely. glue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, so, so this has been absolutely tremendous, David. I've loved talking to you. Um, and is there anything else you'd finally like to say before we wrap up? I think we've probably covered quite a wide range of, uh, of things here. I'm always uh, happy to people to, to connect with me on, on LinkedIn uh, um, and, um, and, and to 
just to, particularly when people people have got interesting um, is, issues around any of these topics um, I'm happy to engage in, in in conversation that's how I learn and how we develop the research and the, and the materials that we do um, uh, so I um, hope that everybody uh, at this difficult time is uh, is also thinking about how do we come out come emerge from this stronger and a lot of the work that we're doing at the moment around the world is actually focused on on helping people to think about that question and to say okay so what needs what reflection and thinking and changing in the way that we uh, that we manage ourselves and our organizations can we put in place so that we hit the ground running as we come back to something like normal absolutely how how do people get in touch with you linkedin uh, yes on linkedin or um uh um so or, or my uh, email is uh, david at david clutterbuck partnership.com and that's c-l-u-t-t-e-r-b-u-c-k so there david, you are. david clutterbuck partnership.com okay tremendous um well i'll just finish up by uh reminding our listeners that uh this is uh, a People Smart podcast episode for the series Leadership Luminaries. And uh, People Smart provides innovative learning solutions to organizations. We work in many countries, cultures, and languages. We focus on leadership and people development, um, especially now in the context of uh, digital transformation, change management, culture change. And of course, and I think this is what we've been talking about a lot. David, the increasing need for emotional intelligence, yes. which also underpins a lot of the, the it, what you've been describing as the, new, the future leadership and what's needed in the world today um, around compassion, caring, connect, being connected and so on. Um, so uh, again, David, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have indeed. Yes, I will say, <laughs> you can see that I'm enthusiast. <laughs> I know, I know. And by the way, it's, it's great to be finally talking with you after how long ago did we first i oh six seven years yeah probably. something like that back in uh, because I, I remember i read an article of yours and you're very open and very generous with yourself and i and i got in touch i said david i can't believe it you and i we have so much in common can we can we talk and then we had a call and uh here we are six or seven years later finally having a proper conversation brilliant i appreciate it thank you very much thank you michael all right. Go well. Go safe. Okay, and you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.